Wanting to speak to you from Second Thessalonians. Um, I, the question I've got is, it's sort of a question and exclamation mark, heading in the right direction. Um, you might have um, remember I mentioned about the fact that uh, my parents' house had been under threat by the fires and um, so Lyndon got us all active and um, my brothers and we went up, up to my parents' house for um, all of this Monday when the fires were coming through and uh, about 10.30 at night we decided, well, there's nothing we can do. The only thing we can do now is to get trapped and less people here to get trapped the better. So I first actually tried to take the shortcut through the fire area. I thought, well, I might get through. And um, I went through where all of this place was burning through um, Tilden Park and it was places burning I'd been out during the day and it wasn't burning at all and um, eventually I got stopped by the fireys and turned around and so I, I was trying to avoid the, um, the the long way around to get around the area but I had to go that way so I headed off heading towards and head around to the Great Eastern Highway if it can help but anyway I was trying to get around the fire zone get on the Great Eastern Highway and come back to home um, as I was driving along um, I got onto this road which I'd never been before and people had assured me that there were some signs to follow. And as I went along there was suddenly an intersection and one sign said Baker's Hill and the other one just the road just continued. And I'm thinking I must have to turn right but that doesn't seem exactly like what I was expected. I'll just go on for a little while. And so I went on and I went on and I went on and I went on and every time I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I should have turned at that corner. I should have turned. I should have turned back. Uh, and eventually I thought, well, now I've gone too far. It's too late. Well, what's the point of turning back anyway? I might as well see where this, um, um, where this comes out. Well, it came out at 2J. I ended up coming back on. I'd been going on 2J Road. I'd gone off at 2J Road. I came back onto 2J Road and there it was at uh, 11.30 at night. I rocked up at 2J, which is obviously a, a, a swinging metropolis at, at 11.30 at night on Monday. So I thought, and, and I was so disorientated on, at, this time, at this point, I didn't have, my phone was flat, so I couldn't get you know, Google Maps or anything there. And so I think, where on earth? And I just could not figure out what direction Bay. Try, eventually figured out what I was supposed to be doing and... Um, and uh, took the long road home, got, got home at midnight, at, um, had a nice little trip through the bush, got stopped by the cops because I'd gone outside the exclusion zone and then I was coming in. So um, anyway, um, the point of doing that is um, for a lot of people that's what their life is like. They... They're heading off and they might get some inklings that maybe they're not on the right track. They often get some ideas, oh, you should have done this, but they continue on until they reach their final destination. So we want to have a look at, um, at uh, this is not working, can you move the first one, then it usually kick starts. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 which talks about the 
directions that we can end, the final destinations which we end up in in life. Um, we've looked at First Thessalonians, which Paul wrote to a young church he had started. He had only there for a short time, maybe a few months, and he'd been kicked out. And so he wrote a first letter to encourage and build their faith up in Jesus and to, to encourage them to love one another and um, also to, to really um, express to live as they should as Christians. And um, he wrote that, and a short time later, he's obviously heard about the fact that persecution has increased and um, some of them are really suffering and um, he also has heard that there's still some confusions about um, certain things he'd said and things about the Christian life and so he wrote Second Thessalonians to encourage them in the to con- confusion so that's what we're looking at and so let's read uh, the first 10 verses of, um, of Second Thessalonians. Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you brothers and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and the love every, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all Though, because you believed our testimony to you. Let's pray and ask God to really speak to us. Father, there's amazing truth in your scriptures. You actually talk about the destiny and purpose of our life very clearly. We pray, Lord, that as we come to your word, that we will hear what you have to say, that we're heading in the direction which is for life rather than judgment. Lord, we pray that you would guide our hearts and minds. Lord, encourage us, challenge us, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. The the passage here... um, talks first about two eternal destinies, and which as you always do in the context of the second coming of Jesus. And so scripture constantly puts before us the end um, point where the destinies, the eternal destinies of every human being, you and I and everyone else in this world, will be set and decided for eternity 
And um, so it looks to the second coming as a, a turn. Uh, uh, scripture gives a few pictures that there's going to be this massive dividing of humanity into two groups, which we can call the lost or the saved. Those who enter into eternal glory and those who enter into eternal damnation. Those who go um, to heaven and those who go to hell. And so scripture does that and it, it looks to the second coming as the key event destiny. Now, when scripture speaks about that, there's some, a lot of the passages, it only presents it in simple summary terms, just like I have. We come and the scripture says, as we see in, in this passage in Thessalonians, that when Jesus returns, some are going to be saved and enter into eternal life and others are going to go into eternal ruin. Now, the events and what happens, and there's many patches, but there's, these are complicated series of events. What happens is a, a spread out series of events. And there's lots of questions which um, we, don't, we don't even know the answers for. And um, there's details and details which we can explain. But the absolutely crucial thing which Scripture wants us to get right is that there are these two destinies and we will have one of them. Destiny is, is that um, there will be... A group of people, and the scriptures say that they are the minority, that there will be a, a group who will be saved. They will enter into eternal glory with God. They will be with God and with Christ together in in joy and happiness and glory forever. And in this passage, it mentions to stand. The first thing... Um, Paul talks about in verse 7, he says that there will be relief from suffering. He particularly highlights this to the church in Thessalonica because they were, they were actually suffering at, the, at that present time. Some, it seems, had already died for their faith. Many people were finding they had become a Christian and instead of life getting better, it had got considerably worse. They were restrained in jobs because the, um, their, the society was rejecting them. They were, um, they were cut off from family and so on. And so life was tough. And so Paul um, encourages them and says, well, you've got this eternal glory. Although, it's not, although the journey is not pleasant now, the destination is wonderful. And when you reach that destination, you will have relief from all your sorrows. There will be actually glory and honour and praise. Now, he uses a second idea, and that is, is he uses a strange term, and it's when we read it, we sort of go, oh, what's that about? He says, we will be, um, when Jesus comes, he will, it says that Jesus will be glorified in his holy people. He uses that little strange phrase in verse 10. 
glorified in his holy people. Those people who enter into eternal salvation, they will be, in a sense, everyone will be like a a trophy which everyone will look to and go, wow, look at that guy. He got into heaven because God has done such wonderful things in his life. And so each of us will be... um, like a trophy to God's grace and power. And now, there's going to be an awful lot of stories to tell. We'll have, in a sense, the whole of eternity to sing the praises, the fact that we who should have gone the other destiny, we had been rescued. And there will be great stories to tell. And um, so... um, God will be glorified as we all are able to hear the wonderful stories of how a person ended up saved. And hey, there's going to be some tremendous stories. Maybe I'll have a time when I can share to, before all are redeemed my story of God's amazing grace. And everyone will say, well, isn't God wonderful? Praise Jesus for his amazing grace. And you will have your opportunity and everyone will give glory to God because of that. And um, the third thing that Paul mentions about these saved is is that um, when Jesus comes, he will be believed. In other words, not only will um, in this eternal destiny of eternal of, of great glory and salvation will we marvel at the stories of the people and praise God for that, but we will actually marvel at him. And so Paul uses in verses 10 that Christ will be marveled at among those who believed. And I think as Paul is, is writing this, he's looking back to those from the dead. And um, as, as Jesus said, look, it's me. And they're looking and he's saying, look, look at, the, look at my hands. Here, look at, look at the scars on my, on, on my forehead. Look at, look at the spear mark in my side. And they're all amazed. And so that's the idea is we will behold Jesus. And in the person of Jesus, we will be able to marvel at the greatness of God, both his eternal majesty, willingness to embrace our humanity and suffer and die on the cross that we would be redeemed. And so that's um, the destiny of the saved, release relief from suffering we will be god will be glorified as he sees the as as we celebrate the testimonies of the people the stories of the of god's grace in their life and we will marvel at jesus himself our great redeemer now the other destiny the other direction to which people Um, head and unfortunately scripture says that this is the broad way the easy way the way that is most populated and um, this destiny is one of being eternally lost Paul says that they will be shut out from his presence in verse 6 I think um, as we're seeing in western civilization at the present time I think we won't it won't be long before we join the, the, the ranks of the Thessalonians, I feel. Um, and that is, is that um, the lost will be troubled 
um, for the trouble that they have caused his people. I think we're seeing already in Western society a, a massive ramping up of persecution, hostility to Christians. Um, already um, anti, so anti-Christian laws passed in Victoria, I think, last week. And um, one would do well to maybe be informed by Family Voice, maybe get on their website so you can be informed about that. But what we are seeing set in place in the Western world tools to attack Christians and um, the wonderful promise that God gives to his to the redeemed is is that God is a God of vengeance and those who trouble his people will be in the end troubled their destiny will be one of of retribution to the attacks that they've they've foisted on God and indirectly to for God the ones that he's attacked on his people I thought it was my cat. <laughs> I sound, this is getting a little bit too sort of thing, the screams of those in hell. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I wanted to tone it down a little. Yeah. Um, so the first thing about, uh, about the lost is that it will be a place where they are judged and they are punished for their hostility to God and his people. Now, Scripture, Paul talks about this. He says, when Jesus comes, he would come in flaming fire. And fire is commonly a picture associated with the second coming. Massive, fiery judgment. But just as the world was flooded was flooded in, in the days of Noah, when the world went entirely against, that, against God, um, in the future, there's this coming of a, a judgment of fire, of, of, of intense scrutiny and weighing of people's destinies. And uh, all I know about this fire is, is it is scary and it's designed to be scary. A lot of the pictures are symbolic. But in, First Thessalon- in Second Thessalonians here, he, he gives a simple explanation of what it is will happen for the lost. He says that they will be they will experience eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. Now what does he mean by that? Well he certainly doesn't mean annihilation. Some sex, in fact some people the idea that maybe God won't actually have eternal um judgment but they will just be obliterated and cease to exist but um, scripture says that there will be eternal destruction and the idea of destruction is not to uh, annihilate things because we wouldn't have eternal for that when you cease to exist eternity doesn't matter the idea of destruction is ruin it is ceases to be what they should have been but they were ruined. They had a possibility of greatness. There was God's plan was that they would be like this, but they ended up a ruin. Now, um, I sometimes go up to a recycle place for dumping my rubbish, and um, up at Bullsbrook, I don't know whether you've seen that. It's uh, 
you can go often, so I, I often go there rather than up the tip. And um, one of the things that used to be, well, tips used to be like that. You actually, when I was a kid, we often go out to the tip and forage. It was nice and, nice and healthy, forage among them. We, we could actually pick up things. So you'd go there with a tip and you'd come back with more than you dropped off. And this place is like that. You can go there and you can actually buy some stuff. But in, a, in there, there's all this stuff and it's got all these TVs. And you look there and it's got all these TVs and computers and things which used to once sit they would have been brought home from the shop and people have put them up and here's my great thing my great tv have a look at it. and it was on display but now there it is sitting dust and broken and so on it's ruined and you you look at it says well that used to be great but now it's no good and so that's the concept of um of the Bible's description of the destiny of those who are lost, that they would be eternally ruined. And even the, the really scary ones where, they're, they're, where it talks about their worm will not die and the fire will be not quenched, it's actually the picture of a rubbish tip outside the city for where the rubbish, the garbage which is ruined is thrown. And the other picture of... Um, of, of um, of our eternal destiny if we're not saved, is outside the city and presence of the king. And so you have um, the king worship him and have the honour of his presence and be with him. And then there's those who are cast in outer darkness, excluded from his presence. And so what happens for the lost is simply this. They didn't want God and his presence and his goodness, and so they don't get him. They didn't want to choose his restoration and his salvation, so they choose eternal ruin. So Paul writes it in these simple terms. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Just before we move on to the next point, um, I used to sing a song it was actually learnt it at school back in the days when Australia um, was proud of its Christian heritage and we'd do scripture and even in classes, this was in my grade, Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? Oh, Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? Oh, Sinner Man, where are you going to run to? All on that day, so, run to the rocks, rocks won't you hide me. Anyone know that song? Okay, so he would teach that song and I didn't, I didn't realise but but he was obviously a Christian and trying to share with his class in a state school the gospel. And I praise God that those seeds were sown in my life. But it actually came, came from the Old Testament imagery and Paul uses that in this passage as well. And this is coming judgment of God. He said, go into the rocks. He's talking to the sinners. Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. Men will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the dread of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. And so we have here um, two eternal destinies, one of fear and regret and eternal lostness and ruin and one of eternal joy, of freedom from suffering and eternal salvation and, and living in the presence of an, awfully, an awful yet wonderful and gracious saviour. 
The second point I want us to have a look at is um, a bit briefer, the next two, um, is Paul talks in this passage about the evidence that we're heading for eternal salvation. In other words, how do you know that you are on the right track? And that's why I use the illustration of my trip to 2J. Okay. Now, I actually, as once I passed that intersection, I knew all along I'm on the wrong track. I'm quite sure of I was sort of sure, but too, not willing to turn around. Now, how do we know we're on the right track? And what, that's what Paul's writing. He's writing to these Christians that, hey, life's tough. And when you're being persecuted as a Christian, it can be exceedingly tough to start doubting and wondering. And so Paul says, well, I just want to encourage you in your faith. I want to encourage you that you're heading in the right direction, that when Jesus comes, you will be among the saved who will be with him forever in glory. And he gives three things as evidence. Okay? The first thing is, is that they were being persecuted. They were being persecuted. In other words, what he tells them, he says, hey, rather see it as an assurance that you are, your faith in Jesus is genuine. If your faith in Jesus is genuine, you will be persecuted in some way. That's what happens. And in fact, if you go in in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus talks about blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, how to become a Christian? Well, you humble yourself and you admit you're a sinner. And then he goes on as to other uh, assurances of our salvation. He goes and says, but for righteousness sake. In other words, blessed are you if you are persecuted for doing the right thing, for obeying God. He says, if that's true, then great is your reward. In other words, you can be confident that you're, on the, you're saved because you're suffering because of your obedience to Jesus. And then he ups it in the, in the Sermon of the Mount in the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake. In other words, because you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and um, that's, as Jesus says there, it is, it is an assurance that great is your reward in heaven. Not only that you're just going to get there, but you're on the right track to heaven, but you're on the track to greater glory than some. Now, the next thing, and it's sort of going from the greater to the lesser, really, but, and that is, is that um, the evidence that they are saved is perseverance. Now, I put it, some people, now, I don't like to say it, although I believe it. Okay? The reason I don't like is because I don't like to assure a person of it that they've got saving faith when maybe they haven't. Maybe they're fooling themselves. You are saved by grace through faith by putting your faith in Jesus. But it's really important to understand, as Paul highlights in this passage, that saving faith is lasting faith. Life tests us and your faith will either be shown to be happened. So life, if it's not growing, it's probably not true faith. Your faith in other things. You've got, you want a nice, pleasant life. You want to be, you feel loved. But saving faith, faith in Jesus, when it gets dark, when it gets tough, you hang on to his hand more. If your faith is not in him, you go, oh, I've got to find something better. And so um, Paul says, there's evidence that you're on the right track. You can take um, confidence in your salvation when you persevere. 
through difficulty. And so every difficulty is a, well, a chance for say, hallelujah, I'm heading for glory. I'm on the right track. And the final thing Paul mentions is, is that you, he says to them, I'm assured, I've seen the evidence. He, in verse 5 he uses it, all this is evidence that you're on the right track. He says, all this is evidence. What? And he talks about the fact that they are growing. They're learning to love their building their relationships with God's people. They're loving and obeying that. So what happens is that the evidence that we're heading in the right direction is is that God is working in our life and we are becoming more like Jesus. We are changing, we're progressing. And that's great evidence of that. Um, That song we sang, "Your, Your Love's Too Good to Leave Us Here. You take me as you found. Yes, Jesus takes us as he grace, but we come to him to be changed. And the evidence of true faith is that we see change. And that change, the thing that Paul specially highlights is, is that people who are saved loved those who are saved. In other words, we love his people. Jesus said that, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have. And so it's that growth, particularly in our growth of our love for God's people. Final point is evidence that you're heading for eternal separation. I knew as I passed that intersection heading off to 2J, I had to turn right, I couldn't turn left. I knew it and I just kept going. You're heading to eternal judgment that when Jesus comes, you won't be welcomed into his eternal presence and glory, but you will be cast out into outer darkness, separated for him forever and living in regret for the opportunity of salvation which you've you've missed. What's the evidence? Well, Paul mentions three things here. He mentions the first thing, and in this one I've actually put it in ascending order. Okay? The first one is you don't know God. You don't know God. Um, Read some of the life and testimony of Charles Darwin um, trying to find out well what led him to become a complete atheist supposed science which is everything anything but and um, one of the things he, sh- he, he mentions in his thing was um, about the problems in nature he looked at he said how could a god create these bad things And he gave a few examples. And as I've read it, I thought, this guy had grown up in church. He was actually, the only degree he had was was actually to be a pastor. He said, I can't can't see how God would make these things. But the things he mentioned were part of the fallen world. And I'm thinking, this guy doesn't understand the, the very nature of God that God is good but we're in a fallen world and I'm thinking he is a minister he had no understanding of God and 
that's the first thing. If there's still, God is in common. God, if you are wandering through this life and you have no idea, you have no um, sort of basic understanding of God, but then that progresses to a, a knowledge of God as your father, then you're lost. You are heading in the wrong direction. You are on your way to eternal lostness. The um, second thing Paul mentions is, is that you don't obey the gospel. You don't. Um, me, it says here, is quite surprising. It says you don't obey the gospel. He doesn't say you don't believe it. He says you don't obey it. What does he mean? What he means is this, is that a person who is lost rejects two things. They reject the cross of Christ and they reject his resurrection. Now, what I mean by that is this. When we reject the cross, we say, I don't need Christ to die on the cross. He needs salvation. I'm going to get, I'm going to face the judgment day or my future destiny on my own righteousness. I reckon I'll be okay. And so... um, A person who doesn't obey the gospel, the gospel, the cross of Christ is saying, you are a sinner, you need to confess your sin and come and receive the forgiveness which is on offer. And so a person who doesn't obey the gospel rejects that offer of grace. And the second thing they do is they reject the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. And so when he rose from the dead, he he is declared dead by God to be your king. And so to disobey the gospel, what Paul's saying is, you are refusing to bow your knee and surrender your life and the rulership of your life over to the Christ, the king that God has appointed. And so that's the second thing. You don't know God. And then people, when they hear the gospel, they don't respond because they don't want to admit their need and come to salvation and they don't want to bow the knee to Jesus as their Lord. And the final thing, which is um, a more definite indication, and that is that a person is headed for eternal separation when they persecute and attack God's people. And so... The people in Thessalonica, that's what happened. The divide between those who believed and those who didn't and those who didn't attacked God's people. And so um, that's the third evidence that Paul gives. I don't have a watch, but I think I better conclude. Guy called Denny, I'd never truth in scripture at all. This is true, that those who stubbornly refuse to submit to the gospel and love and obey Jesus Christ incur at the last advent an an infinite, it should be an infinite and irreparable loss. They pass into a night on which no morning dawns. Just to conclude the application, I think it's two, simply this, if you're heading in... If you don't know God, you're not obeying the gospel, maybe even persecuting God's people. Um, the application and the response which God's asking is change your mind. 
Come to Christ. Put your faith in his death on the cross to pay for your sin. If you would like to do that, I'll just go to prayer. And if you've done it before, I'd encourage you to do it. This is a, um, an entry prayer into um, being one of God's eternally saved people. God, I confess my sin in not honouring you and obeying you. I thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins so I can be forgiven and made right with you. I believe Jesus rose again and you have made him the judge, saviour and lord of all people. I receive him as my... Thank you that I can now look forward to eternal salvation and glory with you when Jesus comes again to judge the world. If um, you may be praying that prayer for the first time or, um, and you'd like a little bit more guidance, please come to the front at the end of the, church, end of the service and I'll be happy to chat with you. Um, for those who are on the right track, can I, even persecution is an assurance that you're on the right track. The fact that you continue to battle the troubles of this world and the persecution is an assurance that when this life finishes or when Jesus returns, you shall be with him in eternal glory, being marveled at and marveling at him. And that's a wonderful, amazing future we have.